welcome to Stat. I'm telling you all medical true crime stories, and it gets bizarre. Karen Wickham, yeah, she used to work in ER, and now she's sharing the knowledge. So let's get involved. Hey, funny and scary at the same time. Medical mysteries, all facts. She ain't lying. <laughs> so tune in to Stat if you dare, 'cause crazy things can happen anytime, anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to Stat. Shocking traumas and treatments, and I am your host Karen Wickham, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's been a little while since I put out my last episode because I needed a bit of a break from all the heavy subject matter, but I'm back now. This little series I'm doing is on Andrea Yates, but not just Andrea Yates. It's on the subject of postpartum depression, and postpartum psychosis. You have probably listened to my episode on Hardcore ER talking about a very terrible case that I dealt with and how difficult it is to separate the condition, the disease, the real mental health disorder from the person because the person may cause such damage and cause so much heartache and destruction. Initially, when I heard about this case, I felt immediately sick, and not just from the experience I had working in the hospital, but in fact, it, it predates that. But just because, how can a mother murder her children? Being a mother myself, I felt even a stronger revulsion to it. So immediately, I, I needed to blame somebody, and of course, it went directly to her. But as time passed, and as I worked in a profession with people who suffer from postpartum depression and psychosis, and just growing up a little bit and understanding it, I had a different view. This case is not as simple as it seems. Let's get started. What were you trying to accomplish then when you did take your children's lives? Andrea Yates woke up on the morning of June 20th, 2001, with a mission from God to save her children's souls from the devil and eternal hell. She believed that she had been a bad mother. Her children were not developing properly. They were unruly and disrespectful. Her homeschooling had failed and they weren't learning. She truly believed that she had failed them. Her five children were between the ages of seven years old and six months, four boys and a baby girl. The only way that she felt that she could redeem them from a certain eternal life in hell was to sacrifice them. Her deadly delusions from postpartum psychosis were being fueled by a con artist cult leader and a false prophet by the name of Michael Warwinecki. On June 20th, 2001, after many years of severe mental illness, she filled a bathtub with water, and during the hour between when her husband left for work, and her mother-in-law arrived, Andrea Yates drowned all five of her children in that bathtub. Her crime was unthinkable. But was it understandable? How did a clean, living, all-American woman like Andrea Yates snap? 
Andrea Kennedy Yates was born on July 2, 1964 in Houston, Texas. Her mother grew up in Nazi Germany and met her father during the British occupation when he was an Air Force B-24 navigator and she an interpreter. After the war, her dad worked as a technician for Ford Motor Company in Houston and later as a school teacher. When he lost his job and times got tough, Andrea's mother went to work as a floor manager at J.C. Penney. She remained there for 20 years before retiring. The family attended St. Christopher's Catholic Church, and her brothers attended Catholic school. Emotions were frowned upon in their family. Rusty, her future husband, once stated that, quote, Andrea was not allowed to have any needs in her family. She can't even identify her needs, and that's odd to me. End of quote. Andrea's brother Andrew has reported when interviewed that depression did run in the family, but nowhere near Andrea's magnitude. He fondly remembers his sister as vibrant and loving. Andrea graduated from Milby High School in Houston in 1982. She was class valedictorian, captain of the swim team, and an officer in the National Honor Society. Andrea suffered from bulimia in her teenage years and suffered from depression and admitted to a friend that she felt suicidal at times. She completed a two-year pre-nursing program at the University of Houston and then graduated in 1986 from the University of Texas School of Nursing in Houston. She worked as a registered nurse at the University of Texas M.D. Anderson Cancer Center from 1986 to 1994. Andrea was studious and shy and didn't date seriously until she was 23. One of her first experiences of depression followed a failed relationship when she was 24. And then she met Rusty Yates. They were both 25 at the time, and they met at their apartment complex in Houston. The first time that Rusty Yates saw his future wife, it was love at first sight. He had gone down to the pool at his apartment, boombox in hand. Andrea was floating in the pool, unaware that Rusty was admiring her beauty and thinking, quote, this woman is way out of my league, end of quote. Rusty tried to make some small talk with Andrea, but Andrea, being reserved as she was, seemed uninterested. Rusty thought that was it. Surprisingly, Andrea initiated the next conversation. Later that month, she left a note on a scrap of paper on Rusty's car window, asking if he wanted to stop over after work sometime. Andrea was concerned that Rusty was a drinker and asked him outright. Instead of being taken off guard, he was happy because his father had been an alcoholic and he didn't want to date a woman that consumed alcohol. Russell, Rusty Yates, played football, and was active in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at DuPont Senior High School. He graduated third in his class and went to Auburn University on a Navy ROTC scholarship. He dropped out of the summer program after four quarters and a six-week summer cruise, realizing that the Navy wasn't for him. His football career ended at college. Rusty introduced Andrea to his friends and religious mentors, Rachel and Michael Warnecke not long after he'd begun dating Andrea. Michael and Rachel would have the manipulative and dangerous influence on the new couple's lives, especially Andrea's. Rusty had come across Warren Yecki preaching outside the college and was intrigued because the man didn't sound like a hypocrite like many street preachers do. Yates, the president of the Methodist youth group, had been raised Nazarene and Methodist. Warren Yecki and his wife and six children traveled the United States in a motorhome, visiting college campuses, preaching hellfire and brimstone when anyone would listen. Rusty and Andrea eventually moved in together and spent much of their time involved in religious study and prayer. They were married on April 17, 1993. 
They shared with their guests that they planned on having as many children as nature provided. A few weeks before the wedding, Rusty bought a brand new four-bedroom, $95,000 house in Friendswood, Texas. Andrea was pregnant within two months of being married. She continued her nursing job at MD Anderson Hospital until Noah was born on February 26, 1994. Then Andrea became a stay-at-home mother and quickly had another son, John. Rusty's NASA job required a six-month stint in Tampa, Florida. The family rented out their home, put most of their belongings in storage, and accompanied him, living in a trailer home. They stayed at Lazy Days RV Campground in Hitchcock, Texas, living in a 38-foot travel trailer. Eventually, they sold their Friendswood home to the people whom they had rented it. In the spring of 1998, the Yates learned that the Warnieckis wanted to sell their 350-square-foot customized Greyhound bus. So Rusty and Andrea made a trip to Miami to see whether they might be interested in buying the bus. The trip didn't go well. The parasitic Warnieckis saw Rusty as a workaholic. Michael was quoted as saying, I believe Rusty was willing to sacrifice his wife and his children for the sake of his job. End of quote. The motorhome was riddled with problems, including the five leaks that sprung when it would rain. The children would live in a hole, as they called it. The hole was a converted luggage compartment under the floor where the children would sleep on pallets. Their motorhome had bare-bones furnishings and safety features. Basically, Rusty moved his young children into an unsafe, beaten-up Greyhound bus in which the children would sleep in a crypt-like hole on the floor. Andrea wrote to her friend, Rachel Warnecki, who admonished her for, quote, not getting saved and being with Jesus, end of quote, and how Satan will ruin her family if she didn't hurry up. Andrea began reading the Bible with renewed intensity. After Luke's birth, Andrea was breastfeeding every three hours and sleeping only a few hours a night. Here's a journal entry from Rusty that explains what happened next. Quote, On June 16, 1999, Andrea called me at work, crying, and asked me to come home. At the time, we were living in our bus conversion motorhome in Hitchcock, Texas. I dropped what I was doing at work and just drove. I was worried because she sounded like she needed me. I found Andrea in the back room of the bus in a chair, bent over, shaking her legs and, to a lesser degree, hands uncontrollably. I need help, she managed to stammer. I tried to comfort her, Rusty said. She had difficulty speaking. I need help, she managed to stammer. I tried comforting her. I wasn't sure what was happening. I guessed it was a nervous breakdown. In 99, she'd called me home, and I didn't know anything about depression. End of quote. He suggested that they get some fresh air and go for a walk. Walk it off. Still, there was no relief for Andrea. Rusty drove her and the boys to Andrea's mother's house for help. On June 17, 1999, the next afternoon, while the family napped, Andrea took 40 to 50 50 milligram trazodone tablets an antidepressant medication that had been prescribed to her father. The dose could have killed her, but her mother found her in the room in time to rush her to Houston's Ben Taub Hospital emergency room. The ER stabilized her and said her reason for admission was overdose. The ER nurse wrote in her notes that Andrea had lost 10 pounds in less than three weeks, that she maintained poor eye contact, poor concentration, low energy and fatigue, that she felt helpless. Andrea said that she didn't want to die, but she wanted the misery to go away. The attending psychiatrist was Dr. James Flack. 
His preliminary diagnosis was severe major depression with a high risk of suicide and self-harm. She was placed on every 15-minute suicide observation and prescribed 0.5 milligrams of Ativan, a mild tranquilizer. And then Andrea was started on Zoloft, an antidepressant. Andrea was tearful and ashamed after trying to commit suicide, but she also felt worthless because what kind of nurse was she? She couldn't even kill herself successfully. During counseling with Andrea and Rusty, Andrea was unable to describe her stressors. Rusty said that he was aware of his wife's depression and would support her. And Andrea stated that her marriage was close and that she loved her beautiful children. A couple of days into her admission, Andrea got worse. As per her psychiatrist, Dr. Toriak, Andrea was nearly mute, advancing to a disorder called catatonia, a loss of voluntary movement, most notably speech. It was concerned that there was something very wrong, way more than that was coming to the surface. Dr. Toriak did not want to send Andrea home in that state. She wanted to make sure her living conditions were safe and appropriate. At that time, Andrea, Rusty, and their four children were still living in a run-down converted bus. Dr. Toriak called the Houston's Child Protective Services Abuse and Neglect Hotline on June 23, 1999 to report the family's unusual living arrangements. Seven days after Toriak's complaint, Dan Wilbur, CPS supervisor, wrote thanking Toriak for her concern for the Yates children. However, quote, because the situation does not appear to involve the occurrence and or substantial risk of abuse or neglect, we plan no further inquiries. End of quote. He wrote in his letter. CPS suggested directing further concerns to the Houston Police Department because, quote, they do appear to have jurisdiction in such matters. End of quote. Toriak wrote at the bottom of the CPS letter. But she also wrote, quote, important, please place in the chart of Andrea Yates. End of quote. The letter lay dormant in Andrea's file until the murders. On June 20th, 1999, Andrea's condition was even worse still. They kept increasing her medication, but nothing was working. Shockingly, Dr. Flack felt that Andrea would be better off at home with her husband and children, that she might be less depressed, so she was discharged home. But he said that she would need to be watched 24-7. There is more to this, though. Dr. Flack's discharge summary also revealed that Andrea was being discharged because of insurance restrictions after seven days in hospital. Dr. Flack also wrote that Andrea was in stable condition with a month's supply of Zoloft, a list of follow-up care providers, and a recommendation to visit psychiatrist Dr. Eileen Starbranch. Andrea Yates was described on discharge as quite depressed, but denied wanting to commit suicide again. Nothing had gotten better. In fact, it had gotten worse. Andrea had said earlier to a nurse that she didn't want to die, but she did want the misery to go away. For Andrea, misery was her only company. Three weeks later, on July 21st, 1999, Andrea tried to slit her throat in the bathroom of her parents' home. Please let me do it, she had said to her husband. Rusty Yates drove his wife to the emergency room, and this time she was admitted to the Memorial Springs Shadows Glen Hospital, where her new psychiatrist, Dr. Starbranch, practiced. During this three-week period, Andrea had virtually withdrawn emotionally from her children and stopped feeding them because she thought that they were eating too much. Andrea was hearing voices from God and Satan and started to self-mutilate. 
She had deep scratches that were two weeks old in four places on her scalp and deep scratches in her nose and self-inflicted scratches on her arms and legs. Andrea told Dr. Starbranch that the sign of the beast was on her body and she wanted to remove it. Starbranch evaluated her the day of her admission and determined that Andrea was mute, suicidal, and psychotic. When Andrea was able to talk, she told the doctor that she was having audio and visual hallucinations and feared she would hurt someone. That is why she tried to cut her throat. Andrea stated, quote, There was a voice, then an image of the knife. I had a vision in my mind, get a knife, get a knife. I had a vision of this person being stabbed, the after effects, end of quote. This vision occurred, as she said, about 10 times a day for several days. She revealed to the doctor that she had her first vision when Noah was a newborn, a vision to kill her child. Andrea also admitted to having obsessive thoughts, quote, over our children and how they turn out, the kids trying to train them upright. Being so young, it's a big responsibility. I don't want to fail, end of quote. Andrea had been corresponding with the Warrenekis the whole time, and they were feeding her delusions with their own. Rusty knew nothing about this. Andrea never spoke of the Warrenekis to her husband after the fallout over the damaged bus they sold him. I'm going to talk about the Warrenekis shortly because I believe they bear some responsibility in Andrea's murder of her children, how they fueled her illness with fire and brimstone. But first, I want to finish talking about this second admission to the hospital. Andrea's original diagnosis of a single episode major depression was by then obsolete. It was now recurrent. They were now trying to rule out schizophrenia, but were singling out on postpartum psychosis. I want to go over some of the hormonal and psychological changes that occurred to a woman after having a baby. First of all, around 75% of new mothers experience what is commonly known as the baby blues, in which the women feel mild, depressive symptoms in which include some mood swings, crying spells, anxiety, and difficulty sleeping. Baby blues typically begin within the first two to three days after delivery and may last up to two weeks. Secondly, postpartum depression may be mistaken for baby blues at first, but the sign and symptoms are more intense and last longer. It may eventually interfere with a woman's ability to care for her baby and handle other daily tasks. Symptoms usually develop within the first few weeks after giving birth, but may begin earlier, even during pregnancy or later, up to a year after birth. Untreated postpartum depression may last for several months or longer. The treatment should be given right away. Next is postpartum psychosis. Postpartum psychosis is a rare illness compared to the rates of postpartum depression or anxiety. It occurs in approximately one to two out of every thousand deliveries or approximately 0.1 to 0.2% of births. The onset is usually sudden, most often within the first two weeks postpartum. The symptoms are delusions or strange beliefs, hallucinations, feeling very irritated, hyperactivity, decreased need or inability to sleep, paranoia and suspiciousness, rapid mood swings, difficulty communicating at times. The most significant risk factors for postpartum psychosis are a personal or family history of bipolar disorder or a previous psychotic episode. Of the women who develop postpartum psychosis, research has suggested that there is approximately a 5% suicide rate and a 4% infanticide rate associated with the illness. 
There is a risk that women experiencing psychosis are experiencing a break from reality. In a woman's psychotic state, the delusions and beliefs make sense to her. They feel very real to her and are often religious. Immediate treatment for a woman going through psychosis is imperative. It is also important to know that many survivors of postpartum psychosis never had delusions containing violent commands. Delusions take many forms and not all of them are destructive. Most women who experience postpartum psychosis do not harm themselves or anyone else. However, there is always the risk of danger because psychosis includes delusional thinking and irrational judgment. And this is why women with this illness must be quickly assessed, treated, and carefully monitored by a well-trained healthcare perinatal mental health professional. Okay, now that we've gone over that, let's get back to Andrea Yates. Andrea describes what happened to her one night in the hospital during that admission. Quote, I was in bed trying to take a nap. I started to hear a rumbling voice coming from the wall behind me. It got louder and louder, and it turned into more of a guttural sound. I heard what I thought was, Andrea, come here. Later, I believed it was Satan. I sat up in bed and shouted, what do you want? I can't remember what happened then. No one came to check on me. End of quote. Dr. Starbranch recommended ECT therapy in which a controlled electrical shock is passed through the brain. It's done under sedation. It often helps in the treatment of psychiatric disorders. Andrea refused this treatment. Instead, Starbranch prescribed an antipsychotic drug mixture described in medical records as an injectable cocktail, including Haldol and Cogentin. Haldol has been around for a very long time. It's an antipsychotic drug that decreases excitement in the brain. It is used to treat psychotic disorders like schizophrenia, to control motor and verbal tics like in Tourette syndrome, and is used to treat severe behavioral problems in children. It has bad side effects, so the drug Cogentin is given to counteract those. Other newer medications are preferred, but this one seemed to work well for Andrea. 19 days into the second hospital stay, Andrea was discharged to the partial hospitalization program, I'll call it PHP, for several days, but slept at home. Now a three-bedroom house in Clear Lake, Texas. This is what Rusty said about it, quote, I bought the house when Andrea was sick the first time. She never complained about the bus. I just thought the house might be better for her. I didn't even know if she liked the house until one day she told me, I'm glad you bought it. End of quote. It's a little clueless, isn't he? By the next visit, August 16th, 1999, Star Branch was in disbelief. When she was told by Rusty that Andrea wanted off the psychiatric medications because she wanted to get pregnant and have more kids and that she wanted to homeschool her children. On August 18th, Starbranch wrote, This will surely guarantee future psychotic depression. End of quote. Unfortunately, Dr. Starbranch was right. I'm going to end there. There's so much that went wrong from the very beginning with this, this woman. First of all, I think her husband Rusty was completely clueless. Was it his fault? Maybe he just was ignorant to the signs. He didn't know about postpartum depression and, and psychosis. But to agree to having more children and 
Worst of all, having his children, having his wife live in this broken down, horrible bus where his children slept under the bus in the luggage compartment. Yeah. And this guy worked for NASA. He was making six figures in the 90s. He made a lot of money. Yet, you know what? I'll have my kids live in a bus and my wife live in a bus. You know, what's the big deal? That I will never understand. I can forgive some of his oversights, but that just seems to be very selfish and very clueless to me. I could just go on and on. And also the the hospital discharging her for insurance reasons when she was clearly psychotic. I don't know. So like I said, that ends today's episode. I could go on one of my tangents, but I think I'll leave it right there. So stay tuned for episode two, which will be coming out shortly. And I thank you guys again for sticking by. And while I go went through this little transition of taking a break. I also want to thank everybody for joining the Facebook page um, and contributing. That's amazing. And also for all the great reviews I got. I want to say thank you to Christina H., Thank you, or T.Y. Barnaby and Kimmy, Pink Sparkle 787, All Y'all, Minimator, Sunshine, LST3123456789, Luke SCM, and Lulit99. Thank you guys. It it means so much to me. I, I you know I say it all the time and it really does. It it lifts my spirits and makes me want to continue doing this. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Anyway, thank you for joining me here today. And remember, take care of each other. Take care of yourself. Love one another. And most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat.